0: Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Brassell. And I'm Timothy Plain. And this week we're doing a big thing. It's a first ever true crossover episode with a Just Shoot It podcast. And Timothy, did you, so you found these guys originally? Was this how it worked? How did we even find out about this podcast? Yeah,
1: I think so. Because I always go on on iTunes and I look for filmmaking podcasts mainly to see uh who else is out there and see if anyone's doing what we do so i can just quit because i think that would be great <laughs> right there's a lot of just a lot of work already. oh yeah so tough <laughs> so i i found yeah so every once in a while i'll download like an episode of somebody's podcast to listen to it and just kind of like see what they're doing and when i heard these guys Talking and I was like, wow, they're really doing what we're doing, but in L.A. And they're like so much farther ahead of us in their careers because they're full time working directors. They have agent and or manager. And um, yeah, it seems. And, and Oren's directed a feature film, two feature films before. Yeah.
0: So it's a kind of a big deal. But I mean, it, it was interesting because like I, I don't usually listen to the podcast recommendations you give me or maybe I'll listen to like half of one <laughs> and then right. whatever. But I listened to the first episode of these guys' podcast and I was just like super blown away because it was exactly what I wanted in a podcast when I was first looking for um, an independent
1: film podcast. I emailed these guys to say, hey, would I be a potential guest on your your podcast. <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah, but you CC'd me on the email. <laughs> so CC'd I CC'd
1: you, and then you asked them a question. And then a few weeks later, we got an email back for them saying like, hey, do you guys want to do like a last minute crossover episode? And we came up with this idea, like crossover episode, meaning we're going to record an episode together and we're both going to release it on our podcast stream. So you'll be able to hear this episode on our podcast and their podcast on the same day, just with different intros. Yeah. that. We're here with Matt Enlow and, and Oren Kaplan, the Just Shoot a Podcast.
2: Cool, so just four four <laughs> lonely directors <laughs> yeah. on a Wednesday night. Just a Wednesday yeah. night, hanging out, drinking tea. Yep. Cool, so we, if you guys didn't hear our last episode, we actually talked about making movies is hard. These guys' podcast, which is a similar podcast to ours, but it's in the Bay Area. So it's a little bit more aspirational. Yeah. Just because, We're NorCal yeah. versus and You get serious you guys, about it. You move to L.A., guys. I see. Nah, yeah. Gloves we, we, are off already, I, I man. love that
0: we just dove, dive right into that. You know, that's just like the. the yeah, you yeah, got to hold on to that. I'm talking about not even <laughs> filmmaking.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about the podcast first, because you guys started your podcast around the same time. Not, that not we even did. around, like like a
0: month before, like right at the same time, pretty much, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. April 2015. Yeah, and we started like June 2015. And I, I always say that like, if I had heard your podcast before we had planned to do our podcast, or if I knew it existed, we wouldn't have started one because your podcast is what I was looking for when I was like, oh my God, I have to, we should do a podcast because there this doesn't exist. And then I find out two years later that it did exist or it just was starting. So. What was, what were you looking for from a podcast? Specifically? Exactly what your podcast is. Like, just two directors talking about the struggles of, of like making movies and like what it's like to be a, a filmmaker, like, you know, trying to make it happen and trying to get a movie made, except you guys are like successful Whereas I don't feel like I am successful. <laughs> like I'm just still trying to make movies and just trying to make it happen. And, but you guys are paid, paid directors and you're doing it and you have fancy things like managers and reps and all that. And we're like, well,
2: you know, we're both still
3: yeah,
0: full
2: on depressed. Definitely. Though. The first rule of directing club <laughs> is not believing that you're a director.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Oh
1: good. I mean, okay. so well, we're all part of the I club. I don't know if
2: I, I buy that. <laughs> I'm just saying like, no, but don't you think like the first thing, like when you move to LA and people are like, oh, so what do you do? You say like, well, I'm trying to be a director. I'm trying to be a writer. I'm trying to be an actor. Mm. I'm an aspiring filmmaker. Like it has nothing to do with what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. It, it just takes you like a couple years to like ga- gain the confidence to say I'm a director. Or, I do have a actor. hard time telling people
3: that I meet that I'm a director because I, I always say it weird. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, like there's always something to where I'm like, I'm a director. I've like I'm saying, maybe I'm lying. Like, or, I've
2: been you know. saying filmmaker because yeah, that's I worse feel like, man i feel like that's cheesy why is
0: it cheesier filmmaker's fine you know or or i don't know i make movies i tell stories telling stories that's douchey can't say that but uh yeah, I, I, I tell stories you know that's stupid
2: <laughs> i weave yarns <laughs> but
0: yeah. i i do think you have to own it though because if you don't own it no one else is going to believe you when you actually go out and try to make a movie right so like even though it might feel uncomfortable or stupid like I, I don't know. I, I told myself a couple years ago that's like I have to just accept that I'm a director because I mean, maybe I haven't made a feature yet, maybe I haven't done this stuff, but I've made movies plural, so that's what I do, you know?
1: I mean I I feel like people I don't know, it's just like a way of representing yourself, right? Arik, ah, before you had made movies, though, and you're transitioning from the crew side and you wanted to be a director, w- would you tell people a director? No, I didn't tell director, people I was a director to- until I'd, like, like I-, I
0: made Strange Thing, and it was out, and it had gotten into film festivals, and I'm, like, I- even then I wasn't saying that I was a director all the time, you know, like I would sometimes, but... It took me until like after that point when I finally was like, okay, like I can do it. But yeah, when I, before I'd made Strange Thing, I was like, that was still in the phase where I was like embarrassed to like say I wanted to be a director because everyone wants to be a director and it's like kind of embarrassing to just be like, that's the thing you want to do. But I think once you've made some movies, you should just own it. Why not, right? Yeah, Yeah. I have so
2: many responses to what you just said. Oh yeah. (laughs) Which is number one, I think there's this like misconception that everyone wants to be a director and I think that's one of the things that, like, works against us big time. Because but it's I, I mean, not that much that, of a misconception,
0: I, right? Like, I mean, how many people do you meet that... How many people in your family want to be a director? Well, other than not you? my family, but, like, in on a set, right? Like, if you're on a well, set, how many people want to actually direct and they're, like, the gaffer or they're the whatever, right? Like, a lot I, of them. 10% maybe,
3: yeah. at most. Yeah, like, I feel like you meet a gaffer and they're like... Yo, I've got a very nice house in Burbank. To
2: me, a gaffer, either is very happy. Yeah, and it makes good money and it gets a lot of work. Or they want to be a DP, uh-huh. right?
0: That's true, um, DP. But I mean, yeah.
2: So I think that's like one of the things that we—I think took me like years to overcome—is to sure. feel like uh, I don't want to say I'm a director because the next thing someone's going to ask me is like, "What did you direct? Or what have you directed?" And I know, right. and then I'll be like, "Nothing." Nothing. <laughs> you know? Or yeah. like, this, "Have you do you watch YouTube videos?" So it took me a really long time, but I found that like outside of the industry, no one even knows what a director, the difference between a director and a producer is. So they they don't even ask you what you directed.
0: Right. Yeah, that's
1: Um, true.
2: And then inside the industry, there's enough to talk about that you can instantly sniff out whether the person you're talking to is like really a filmmaker or not.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I think what we're really talking about though, is like maybe the difference between calling yourself a director because you've made a bunch of things or because you feel like oh I'm doing it full-time right right and like right. I know for sure I had directed you know a bunch like two seasons of my web series and didn't call myself a director really until I quit my job and was doing it full-time and like that's not true right like obviously I'd been directing pretty seriously for like a couple years at that point so yeah I totally acknowledge that I think there is kind of um like a mental barrier in terms of how you want to represent yourself. I think, Oren, you were getting at something, right? Like when you were saying, oh, when you have a conversation with a person, you can kind of tell whether they're legit or
2: not, right? Right. Yeah, it's when I was an engineer, it was the same thing. Like you could tell in five minutes even if someone's like a good engineer or not, just like by the way <laughs> they talk about the work.
1: You know? Right. But where are you guys trying to get to? Like, what's your ultimate goal? Where Where do you see yourselves? Like, who are some of the directors that you admire that that, that you were like, I want to be at that level in five years. Matt from now?
3: fucking Enlow. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, that's the joke, like, right? Like,
1: <laughs> well, you are there. You are right? done, done. Matt
2: already did in a
3: few. Like, years are you now.
1: satisfied with where you are at now, or something? I am so depressed.
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but no,
3: So,
1: what do you want? The, What's so holding the, you back?
3: The the balances, though, is like making films at a studio level. You know, does require a certain you know pedigree in terms of like film festivals and things like that, right? So, mm-hmm. you kind of have to stand out in order to be acknowledged for that sort of work. So I think that's the the thing that's next you know in looking at this year and kind of thinking through the way in which I'm going to elevate and and kind of what projects I'm I'm thinking of and what I'm going to pick to be a part of I'm really trying to narrow down and say no to projects that aren't really in my voice in the first place. Didn't you say this was the year of yes for you. (laughs) <laughs> it's the year again, but I'm getting to it. This is the opposite. It, it is, is a yes year and year. No, that's true. I'm, because basically, what I'm trying to do is I'm I'm trying to only work on things that I can kind of mold into the matte and low style and vision, basically. Mm. So, so the, the way in which it works is yes, it's like oh, I get the spot, okay, and you know, it's it's only so so. In the last couple of years, I probably would have just taken the job and and done a serviceable job. But the point of this year and the rest of my life, I hope, is that I take that job and create something special and like something that's true to my voice and kind of add an auteur eye to it. So, Timothy, whether it's a TV show or a web series or a comic book or a movie, it kind of doesn't matter as long as I'm honing that vision and that ideal of what my voice is. Mm. And so that that's kind of the. the so let, lens.
1: Me, let me ask you this. Yeah, and then I want to ask Laura the same questions. But since we're on you, like, what what's holding you back from just doing it? The, the what's holding you back from just DIY? Like, go go on Kickstarter again, raise some money, or go talk to your friends and family and raise some money and just make the film that you want to make, rather than trying to like get permission yeah. to make it.
3: Yeah, sure. So I mean, there's a couple tricky things there. I think, I don't want to speak for Oren, but we're both like a little used to a certain level of, like a budget level basically, that uh-huh. I think is a little outside of the Kickstarter sort of self-starting range. Mm. So like the stuff that I'm working on now, you know, I'm taking to agencies basically March 6th is the date. So it is a it is a, a form of self-starting, but not kind of the traditional Kickstarter version.
2: Right, I guess one of the reasons we're always making this argument to move to LA is because I think you know if you live outside of LA or New York or you know one of the London, it's hard to plug into a system and you have to kickstart. You have to make it yourself. You know, in LA, we have managers and we have friends that are producers and that work for studios. And you know, if we want to pitch a TV show we just have to write the script and the treatment and send it to our reps and they can say, Oh, we think this is good. We'll pitch it. Or we think this is bad. We're not going to pitch it. And then we write something else. So I think we have done a lot of legwork to get to a place where we don't have to put up our own money right. to get a foot in the door. Well,
0: I guess the, thi- yeah, the like thing, it- that's, the thing to me is like, that I'm just like, you know, kind of baffled by when, when you, you know, cause you guys have like managers or agents or whatever. I don't know exactly what you have, but, Like, if you have a movie you want to make, like, is it not just simple enough to be like, hey, here's my script, here's my treatment, let's go attach this actor who I'm pretty sure we can get and let's go raise the money with some financiers and just do it that way and like kind of be your own producer. Is that not how, can you not do that? Or like,
3: I mean, that that's how every movie gets made basically. Right. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. But, and that, and that's the plan. I mean, I think like the, the order in which things happen can be a little tricky, right? Like sometimes you need to be financed before you can attach and vice versa. It's, right. You know, it's a little bit of a cat and mouse game with that stuff. But like, I think the idea of like waiting for permission is it's not as black and white as that, right. you know, it's like we, you can't ever wait for permission because like then you won't get anything made, right? Like you're, you're, you constantly are brainstorming and pitching and taking things out. And like, I, yeah, like what you're saying, Timothy, is that like, Oh, if the answer is no, why don't you go just go make it? And like, the problem is oh, like, I can't kickstart a million dollars basically. Right. And so, but that doesn't mean that I can't sell a show for a million dollars or a movie for a
1: million dollars. but my my argument or my challenge to you would be is why do you need a million dollars? This is what this is what Alrich does to me all the time so that's <laughs> right, why I'm doing right. it to you because sure. I, I went into the beginning of the podcast with Ulrich was like I have all these movie ideas that I want to do, but they're all like 20 million dollars or $4 million or $2 million. And he was just kind of like, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. And talk me down to a point where it's like, now I'm, I'm ready to just to do micro budget feature. I don't have to rely on getting permission from anyone. I just have to come up with a story I'm passionate about and just go do it. And it's like, You know, thought experiment wise, like you put two people on this path of like wanting to make a movie and someone like me who's like, I'm going to just write a micro budget movie and I'm going to raise the money and I'm going to go do it like Krisha versus somebody like you who's saying, I need a million dollars to go shoot it. So I have to go ask for permission. Who's going to get their movie made first? And does it really matter how much they spend on it? Because you could get accolades at any budget level. So what's the most important?
2: Well. I guess, you know, we've been, Matt and I have both been doing this for a while. One of the first movies I worked on is a movie called The Hamiltons that shot actually by you guys in Petaluma. Um, We made it for 60 grand. I actually invested in, I put like 10 grand into it and it was like this massive success. I got like 50 grand back or something. That's amazing. The Lionsgate bought it. It was like one of the biggest horror films in England the year it came out. I mean, it was like this total like... Total, that type of thing never happens. And I just happened to get in on it. I was like, wow, (laughs) this is easy. You know, let's make the low budget horror film and make a ton of money off of it. And of course, like that entire market kind of crashed a few years later. That was in probably around 2004 or something. People were buying DVDs then, basically. Yeah. Um, And then (laughs) we both worked on a ton of low budget stuff. Like Matt, you know, kickstarted and financed his whole, you know, digital series. My first film. We right. made for seven hundred grand. My second movie was like around six hundred grand. It was like a TV movie. We both did series, like over a million dollar series. So it just seems like that. I have a wife and a child and a mortgage and right. mm-hmm. car payments and all yep. that stuff. Like, and we we can get reliable commercial, you know, branded content, commercial digital series like work that pays us to sustain those things. So for us to go make that hundred thousand dollar movie. It's not that we can't, and it's not that you can't make a good movie for $100,000. Of course you can. All of us can name like two or three, like the Blair Witch Project Paranormal Activity. <laughs> right. None of us can name 10. Yeah. But, well. <laughs> but it's got to be, to move the needle on Matt or my career... It's got to be one of those movies, right? You know?
3: Yeah, and I think also like you know we're talking about you know you look at like a, a something that breaks like Barry Jenkins, right? Like right. Medicine for Melancholy. That's like a fifteen thousand dollars Bay Area movie, right? right? Certainly, like that's yeah. that's the sort of you know ideal right there.
2: And I it think, still took him five five years, and you had to make write this awesome script and, and adapt it, and make blah, blah, blah. an amazing movie. Yeah. Yeah. like it's not like that's what made him very no, near, no. Me- medicine for melancholy I mean
0: it definitely helped his career in a big way right like I, you know I think he got a lot of opportunities from that if I
2: yeah I think he did a lot of commercials and branded stuff and and you have this you're in the feature club so you can be like right yeah, I can do a, I've made a feature it's not hard and played a bunch of festivals you know right yeah but going from that to you know to the stuff that Timothy talked about a few minutes ago which is like is it worth it for me from a business point of view to give you a million dollars to make a movie am i going to see that million dollars again um that's the harder leap to make
3: yeah you know it's tricky right like the feature film industry is in a kind of a a tough place right now right like recouping is is a uh, independent film on any level is a real gamble right right? Mm -hmm. like uh, all of our friends who are kind of in that distribution game it's you know, you have to literally sign paperwork that says, hey, I know I'm going to lose all of my money, right? So to me, <laughs> right. it's like, okay, like, yes, I could totally make a, a $15,000 movie, a $30,000 movie. And I think that's a great idea. And like, I'm certainly not above doing that or anything like that. But but I think it kind of depends on the movie that you want to make. And the one that I'm focusing on right now, you know, is like a seven hundred, eight dollars $800,000 movie, which is like not that much money. Um, right. And and I think is kind of just the the right baby step up in terms of you know being able to attach bigger talent and being kind of that next stepping stone, right? So
0: that's exact. So you're exactly yeah, where, doing where what I'm saying, though, right? You're Go like ahead. taking that movie and you're shopping and you're you're going through your reps and you're trying to attach like you know actors and all that stuff. That's like the process you're in now.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I you know I think like I think there's maybe a misconception in terms of like the sort of work that your reps can do. Like everyone always compa- complains about their reps the same way that I don't complain about them. They're awesome. They're so great. <laughs> right. They don't listen to this podcast. They don't. Listen and to this if podcast. they're listening but, right now, but, you know, we like love they've got you. they've got work to do, and like if opportunities come in, of course they pass them along to us. But it's. A rep is just another person that you have to get excited about your movie. Right. You know what I mean? But I guess like there's still a salesperson. Right.
0: But like getting it like that person can help you get it to the right people. Right. If you like you're trying to get in front of this actor's manager or this actor's agent or whatever, like they can help you do that. Whereas if you don't have that person, it's much more difficult because you're kind of just called yeah. calling or whatever. From what I understand,
2: the landscape as it is today, if you don't have a personal connection to an actor, if they're not a fan of your work or you know them through someone or you're friends with their agent, you need to send them an offer and a date. And it has to be a pay or play offer, which means that they will get paid this money regardless of whether the movie goes. And if it's an A-list actor, that amount of money better be like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you're, you know, like making a smart indie film with good performances and it better be in the millions if you're making like an action film you know right. so yes our reps can send you know there's five big agencies right CAA, UTA, icm wme right. four oh. big agencies gersh gersh. <laughs> <forgot> <laughs> gersh um anyone can call them you guys could call them and say like hey can i talk to the desk of this agent you can look up anyone's agent right. And you can say, hey, I have some material. Here's the log line. I'm really interested in
3: yeah, your I mean, client. But I, don't, I don't know about necessarily it being a pay or play option, but certainly like an offer is a thing that no agent will ignore. Right. And, see right. That, yeah.
0: and that's I, kind of the world that I'm about to step into is I'm, I'm about to do all this crazy cold calling to managers and trying to get actors attached to my movie. Because, like, from what I've been hearing from, like, the indie producers that I know and, like, the people making really small movies is they're saying that this is a real thing that that happens. Like, you can get, you know, a letter of intent from an actor and then, you know, use that letter of intent to to raise the budget for your movie. And, I mean, we're not talking about A-listers here, but we're talking about, you know, actors that you may have heard of, you know?
2: like who?
0: I don't know. Zoe Deschanel ex- was one that my uh, well, pretty good friend Lister for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, th- whatever, like in that like people that aren't like Brad Pitt but that like are in, you know, TV shows and movies that are out there, right? You know. So I mean, it's always going to be the
2: same thing. If it's like, you know, Bill Compton from True Blood, he's going to be really hard to get if it's going to be like someone that was on f- 10 episodes of True Blood. It'll be easy to get, but they won't get your movie financed, right? You know, there's there's always that sliding scale. So I don't know. I I was just listening to the business. Do you guys listen to that? KCR. It's a uh, Kim Masters. Yeah. Uh huh. She just talked about how people are stopping to do st- stopping letters of intent because they're you know leaving mm. holes in their schedule to do this movie, and then the movie never happens, and they're passing up opportunities. So if it's anyone that has mm. opportunities to be in TV or film they don't want to tie up their time for something that's not a sure thing. Look, there's always exceptions. And if you're like buddies with Adam Pally, or, I mean, we've had guys on the podcast before. We had Liz Manischel on the podcast and she had Bobby Moynihan in her movie who she just kind of cold called or reached out to somehow. You you know, you can, I'm not saying it's not possible. To me, I'm, I'm a little bit, I was attached to this film all of last year. It was finance. There was like $5 million for it to go, as long as we attached the lead actor, and we had William Morris repping the script, the the guy that wrote it was like a big TV guy. The production company had all the money, and we couldn't attach an actor, and it just never happened. Wow! And I'm sure part of it is they'd never heard of me before, and they, you know, maybe that's some issues with the script, who knows, or the genre. But I kind of said to myself kind of the same thing you guys are saying which is funny because I feel like I'm arguing against it but I said to myself like I have to go make my own movie that's like my personal right. story my fruit veil station or my Medicine for Melancholy right, yep. and I need to cast really good actors that are not famous that will give me Sixty days of shooting because I can't make a freaking awesome movie in ten days. Like
0: every
2: (laughs) horror producer thinks you can.
0: Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
2: You know, or Another Earth or Sound of My Voice. Like, there's a lot of these great movies. I know I said there aren't, right? There's a lot of good movies in that range, (laughs) but you just can't get amazing cast unless you're personal friends with them.
0: Right. Or you, Um, or you get extremely lucky. Right. Like you, you have to get really lucky and you have to like win the gamble basically because you're right. Like it's gonna. To be really really hard to attach anybody that anyone's heard of to a movie with an unknown director, right? And and that has no unless
2: the material is amazing like outstanding. and your previous work is outstanding. Right.
0: Which like, you know, I mean, I'm not in that situation. I mean, I know I'm not, right? Like You know, none of my movies, like, got into huge film festivals or, like, you know, have millions of hits online or whatever. So, I mean, like it's more than likely that that's not going to be the case, but I still think it's possible that I can succeed and and attach one of the people that I want for my movie, like, despite that, you know, just because... I don't know. I just, I'm a believer, I guess. I'm a dreamer. Like I, I just, and I have a persistence you- and like this enthusiasm that's like, you know, well, I could sit here and say, oh yeah, Oren's right. Like I'm never going to be able to attach an actor to my movie because of all these, these obvious real reasons. Or I could try and work my ass off and, and call all these people, all these managers, like reach out to production companies, reach out producers, like just like fucking push it. And just see what happens, you know. And maybe I'll land something. Maybe somebody will be interested. Maybe somebody will read my script and be like, "Oh my god, this shit is amazing!" Like I really res- it resonates with me. Let's make this movie, you know. And I mean, I won't know that until I try. And so I feel like I at least have to push it out there and try as hard as I can,
1: and then just see what happens, you know. All works a dreamer. I am a dreamer. Can we can we take a step back for a second, like? Alrick and I came in like guns a on this episode because we've listened to like every single one of your episodes and we like have all these thoughts and we kind of like in some ways it feels like we know you guys really well and we have like all these things that we want to talk to you about and like we came into this episode with like a strong like agenda of what we want to talk about and now I feel like because we have so much to talk about we're like all over the place and <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I would love to just take a step back maybe like for a second and at least talk about like Why are we all making movies? Because it sounds like there's a lot of talk right now about like making a movie to like get to the next step in your career. But do we not want to just make movies because that's what we, that's who we are. Like we're, we're filmmakers and we're, we just need to make movies however we can. And we shouldn't be worrying about like what's going to happen on the other end of it, but we should just focus on like, however we can make that movie, we should just be making movies.
3: Yeah, well, right? I, I think that there
1: is. Or like is a, there like an end goal that you guys are after?
3: There, there's a balance you have to strike, right? You do have to be careerist yeah. uh, to a certain degree because you want to continue to be able to make things. Right. Right. Like you can make your passion project that you know isn't going to really connect with audiences, but you still really want to make it. And you can do that a couple times. And then at a certain point, you know, that well runs dry financially, right? Like movies are just too mm-hmm. expensive to, to make and favors are too costly. Like at a certain point, people are just not going to want to do it anymore, right? So you have to be a careerist in a certain sense, right? But also you do like the flip side is the only pe- people only want to see movies that have true passion behind them, right? So you can't just like sell out or like, right. You know, then at a certain point, just no one wants to watch anything, right? Yeah. So like you're you're always trying to to strike that balance. So so I think maybe there's a misunderstanding in terms of like when we're saying oh we don't want to make. X movie, we want to make Y movie because it helps our career. That's also just true because it means, oh, we want to continue to make things and like, we've learned enough.
1: Yeah. I just want to know where, what are you guys reaching to? Like at this point in my career, I'm just reaching towards like making a feature. I've never made a feature. I've done short films. I've done some commercial works. Like I just want to make a feature. Like I'm not even focused on my commercial career Mm You know, like I if I was really serious about commercial filmmaking, then I would like really pursue like that side of things. But right now I'm like, all right, I work at an ad agency. I'm a producer for an ad agency and that's not really where I wanna be, but it does allow me some freedoms in like making choices and, and just mm-hmm. being able to like get things done and make movies. And so like, in some ways I am where I want to be because I can make movies. And to me that that's important. So sometimes I, I feel like we just need to take a step back and ask the question, like, what are we reaching for? Like, what are you guys reaching for? What do you want?
2: Well, where do you want to end up? I'm going to tell you why I moved from San Francisco to LA. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's (laughs) get to the story. Exactly. It is exactly because of that idea that you just brought up, which is to me in San Francisco, filmmaking was an art, you know, and in Los Angeles, filmmaking is a business. And I wanted to be in the business of filmmaking. I wanted to make many films and I love cameras and I love editing and I love actors and I love production design mm-hmm. and I want to I love being on set you know I want to be involved in that every day of my life because it's so fun and I don't want to spend 90% of my time working on a Kickstarter campaign or doing a day job you know I want to be a filmmaker all day long and it would be very nice if people watched the stuff that I made when I was an engineer it was the same thing I wouldn't <laughs> want to write software that nobody wanted to use I don't want to work at a you know spoon factory that doesn't sell any spoons <laughs> like i want to <laughs> m- make movies that people want to watch so it's not i'm not making yeah. movies for me if i was making them for me i would just write the script and kind of visualize them in my mind you know it's like this giant industry that we're a part of and it's very expensive and so i think it, matt and i want to optimize our w- way to climb and, and you asked and matt kind of answered a little bit what his ultimate goal is. I kind of have a very clear path for myself. (laughs) Although I'm doing a really bad job, uh, (laughs) like climbing onto it, but there's a lot of directors whose careers I've talked about on our podcast many times, like Josh Trank and Gareth Edwards and, um, West ball and Ryan Coogler and people that have made these, most of them, I guess Ryan Coogler made a feature, but the other ones all made these really amazing shorts and got a really good script and, you know, they managed to pitch their way into studio films. Like I would love to direct a Marvel movie. That's kind of like my ultimate goal. Commercials are fun. They're like really good practice and you get paid to do them and you don't have to tell your friends to watch them on Facebook. Right. You know, someone is paying other people to watch them. So it's nice because you don't have to worry about distribution Feature films—it's all you have to worry about, you know. Right. When we made that movie, mm-hmm. all I worried about for two years was how I'm going to pay my investors back. You know, we played, well, we premiered at a good that- festival. We were on oh. Netflix. We had international distribution. We were on at Blockbuster and at Walmart and everywhere, and we still weren't making our money back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah. and I, th- I think that, like, if you think of, unfortunately, I think the state of feature
3: films right now is that. When you're doing it on the independent level, the because the likelihood of you making your money back is so low, you have to like the idea of it being a calling card to make other opportunities happen, right? So if you only want to mm-hmm. make feature films, like th- that's a it's a hard thing to make a living doing in the independent landscape. It right? is, yeah. Right? So, but I've if kind like, of come I to I the love-
1: conclusion that you. at at any level, the number of filmmakers that are making a living at making feature films are so small that I think it's unrealistic for anyone to think that they're going to get to that point. So I I, I feel like, so hold on. Strike
2: that from the record.
3: And also, I think, I think that's also something where like, technically that might be true, but like, you know, I think we're all here because we made, passion projects that made us eligible for other work that we also love. Right. So, so that's the thing, right? Like you have to like be happy making commercials, happy making music videos, you know, doing other
0: work.
1: But that's not feature filmmaking. That's, that's supplementing your income in order to stay <sighs> well, I'm gonna, long I'm enough gonna, to you know, be make a feature film. I'm not going to
0: directing music videos for a living in, in between feature films. Like, I mean, that's pretty amazing, right? Like, you know, you can't,
1: right? Like that's, no, my I guess my argument is no one's getting no one's doing a hundred percent feature films and not doing commercials, not doing music videos. Doesn't have I mean, to yeah, like like know a you're a by the way. Like, I think
0: there probably is somebody out there who's making people feature that get to films that level. and you know like shitty you know, direct yeah. to something VOD feature
1: films and like, you know, making a living. <laughs> and there's the Woody
2: Allens that make only feature films. Right. Yeah, but like, like to,
3: yeah, to yeah. be honest though, no, I'm not though, saying all that they don't favorite. exist.
1: I'm just saying that the slots for those filmmakers are very, there's only a few of them. It's like, if you look at the number of, of, of directors working inside the Hollywood system, there's what, like 200 yeah, of them? You can't but then have... you look at like, there's 12,000 films submitted to Sundance. So that means there's 12,000 <laughs> people fighting for 200 positions. Dude. And you're you, saying Warren you Kaplan is gonna make it into that? Yes, you and, cannot have the SWAT
2: mentality, right? That's like not—you'll never do anything. Guess what? Only, you know, ten thousand lawyers get hired a year at good law firms. So I'm not gonna go to law school. Like, fuck that. Like, if you—if only the top point one percent of people get directing jobs, then just be in that top point one percent. And if you miss it, keep trying again. That—that, but, but I think. What I'm saying is like, I'm not just going to write like, oh, I have a cool idea for a feature film. I'm going to go spend two years of my life making it if I don't think that it's like going to be fucking awesome and unique enough to, I don't want to fit into a slot. I want to make my own slot. And that's like what Ryan Coogler did. That's what Damien Chazelle did. You know, they made these shorts that no one had seen before. And then they got, you know, awesome jobs off of that. They made their own slot.
3: Right. and like I think most of our favorite directors do commercial spots all the time right yeah, like wh- whether you know it or not right like I mean Fincher is the uh, obvious best example that guy makes 20 million dollars a movie and he'll still do a gap campaign right yeah, so some so do, like some don't I mean plenty like, do plenty yeah. do the, the Coen brothers do Spike Jones obviously does you know like Errol Morris like you can be like DIY like indie hardcore art filmmaker and like you know, go do TV and commercials all the time.
2: And, I, right. and David I think Lynch can go direct an episode of TV.
3: Yeah. And who cares is what I'm saying. Like, I don't think that like we need to fetishize feature films as the only thing that you want to make. Right. Like,
0: well, getting especially to practice your craft. I mean, right? there's so yeah. many like other forms of narrative out there, you know, with web series and, you know, like TV shows, Netflix, Amazon, all this stuff. Like, I feel like as long as it's, a, it's like a narrative story, like, that counts to me, right? Like, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm only going to do features. I'm never going to do a web series, I'm never going to do anything else. I mean, that, that's just as valid in my mind. I, I don't know what you think, Timothy, but, I mean,
1: I don't think Timothy, anyone's... No, I think that's totally like valid. If you're not
2: yeah. making feature films, you're a
1: sellout. <laughs> which- <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I think, I think, I'm trying to think, like, my point was that... We're all going to fail. Because Where I've landed with the podcast over the year has been really like, what does a filmmaker look like? And mm-hmm. I think we have this like fantasy that, of, that filmmaking is like working in the studio system and like making these big budget movies. And like, I feel like you can just have a day job and you can make feature films on the side.
0: So I want to just say, cause Oren, you, you had that you know statement about like why you moved from San Francisco to LA and, like, what your ultimate goal is. And I think, like, if you do want to make Marvel movies, yeah, obviously, LA is the place to be, right? Like, it'd be stupid if I was, like, you know, anywhere else. Like, oh, I'm going to be the next guy to direct, like, the new Ant-Man or whatever. Like, Iron Man 6. Like, that's stupid. But I'd almost uh,
2: argue any studio film, but yeah.
0: Right. Well, I'm not necessarily gunning for studio movies. Like, I just want to be able to make the next movie, right? Like, that's all I want. Like, I just want to be able to make a movie, get people to see it. Um, Gets out into the world, and then make enough money on that movie to make the next movie. That's the only goal.
1: Ulrich's gonna be the the Roger Corman of the That's Bay Area. That's what he keeps on saying, <laughs> which is you, not true. Are you?
2: Um, <laughs> may I ask your marital status and all of those details?
1: <laughs> yes, you
0: may. I am married, but no children. But uh, but my wife's got a good job here, and that you know it'd be difficult or near impossible at this point, I think, to move immediately. You know, but it's not yeah. out of the question. You know. Oh, um, yeah well the no, last guest
1: that we had on the podcast he his, uh Ryan Thomas he he moved to LA and he's working kind of to build up into like director of photography position in the union and his advice was like make sure your expenses are as low as possible because like when you don't have a bunch of overhead, you can take risks and you can do fun things without having to worry about the money. But it's true, like once you get to a certain point in your career, and like I wrote to you guys in my email, it's like at what point does your career become a gilded cage where you can't make decisions without money being involved? It's like you buy a house, you buy a car, you have kids, you get married. It's like all those things start to trap you into a point where you can't make decisions just to like pursue the passion of things anymore. And then you start thinking about things more in either career sense or yeah, or just like just to pay the Yeah, bills. I mean, I
2: think
3: that there, there's a tricky mentality there, though, right? Like, I um, made more money the first year that I started directing than I did at my day job, wow. right? So, like, the, and that that Where was, was there's a job? lot of luck. A bathroom attendant and people hate mm-hmm. tipping. Him. Yes,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all yeah, no,
3: I mean, like, <laughs> so so I think keeping that in mind, like this idea of like the starving filmmaker doesn't have to necessarily be the truth certainly like it's hard there's a lot of struggle i hustle super hard every day but you can make a good living and like especially if you're the type of person who is a producer or an editor or something else on the side and you want to supplement a little bit but keep yourself free to to freelance direct and do that other work you can still make a very good living and support a family doing that for sure and i think that, that again not to beat a dead horse but like the number of opportunities are to do that sort of work are the most prevalent in you know New York and LA. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, there's especially if you're going to be doing narrative stuff, right, or branded content or or whatever. But I mean, there's lots of work for you know stupid corporate videos here, which is kind of what I do, and that's good. But yeah, right, I don't know, I don't right, know but saying. but it's like I mean, Timothy
2: works in a super creative industry, and I'm not saying that corporate videos aren't creative, but it's like you can be a gaffer on movies every day, but it doesn't really put you that much closer to directing narrative stuff. Basically, if you have nothing to show someone that's going to hire you to, you know, like (laughs) Timothy can send that amazing Adobe ad campaign as much as he wants, but he didn't direct that, you know, and you can send corporate videos, but you're not trying to get corporate videos. So it's like, right. Yeah. I mean, you can can be a filmmaker, but you're not getting closer to that goal. You're just getting good, great practice.
0: Well, for me, like staying here, the the argument is that I can make movies easier in the Bay Area than I can in LA or pretty much anywhere else for a variety of reasons. Mainly my resources, my connections, and that I, you know, that it's really easy to make a movie. I wouldn't say it's really easy, but it's easier to make a movie somewhere outside of LA or New York for like the permitting, locations, like,
1: you know, all those reasons. It's just easier here. And it's... And people just wanna work on movies because that's not around right. them all the time, so they're willing to come out and, yeah, play and just so exactly. you know, we
2: would like if we make a movie my first movie I shot in upstate New York in Rochester, my second movie was shot in like Bakersfield area, like Pipe Rue right. like the random places yeah. like all the my current options are, are yeah. out of town. Making for sure. movies yeah. but that's like twenty days of your process, you know, thirty days, maybe right. two months of your process. <laughs> yeah. That's a two year process. Right, you know. Right, and so don't you want to be someplace with the best editors in the world, with like all the best equipment? Like, don't you want to work with not just A list actors? Like, fuck A list actors. Like, I want the best fucking sound designer that you know that I can get. Right. And by the way, San Francisco Bay Area has very very good post hey, facilities. Yeah.
0: And we have um, good crews here, too, man. I'm going to stick up for our Bay Area crews. Like, no, we no, have great you, gaffers. we got great ca- camera assistants. we got great everybody, great DPs. You know, it's, it's fantastic here. I mean, you know, that guy, Ryan Thomas, who we had on our show, he did say, like, yeah, certain equipment isn't available in the Bay Area. So if you want certain big lights, you do have to get them from L.A., whatever. But again, like, I'm not working on the size of movies where you need those huge lights anyways, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you know? and also, look, well, let's talk the Bay about Area all-
2: is not... Freaking Kansas! You know, you guys right. are in California. It's not like it's a five and a half hour drive. Exactly. That's
0: that's my argument too. Right. Is that if I need to be in LA, I could like literally be there tomorrow if I had to be. I right?
2: mean
1: the thing about well, let's LA not be defensive like about where moving Matt and I to was,
2: LA, East LA. We call yeah. it East LA, but it's not really East LA. The East side of West LA is that when we go out, at, when we go to a coffee shop anywhere in our neighborhood, everyone in that coffee shop is working on a script, on a movie, on a web show. When we go to a restaurant when we go out at night when we go to the movie theater it's like we are just immersed in it and it's a it's a business that relies on relationships and so right. this is just the place to get it and dude people are miserable in this town like if i could have stayed in san francisco it's like a be- one of the the most beautiful cities in <laughs> the world definitely in the us but it's f- insanely expensive and right. it, it And yeah, that's when you work in tech, that's where you go because for the same reason that if you work in films, it, it's easier to work in LA. You can work in tech and live in Sioux city, Iowa, which is like for some reason, my dad's example of like the most random city in the world. (laughs) Um, But you're not going to be hanging out with like all the best engineers that have the coolest ideas. You're not going to go to tech crunch and hackathons over the weekend. You know, you're going to go to like rodeos or yeah.
1: Well what how do you how do you see Ulrich and my life changing if we move to LA? Like what what could we expect?
2: Well You'd run into people at coffee shops you guys and that is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. First of all you'd be depressed for two years. That's my that's kind of just the rule. It's two two tough years in L.A. I say three. I say three. Three, I think between two and three is like when you hit the like just complacent. All right. (laughs) And then three is when you start. Well, feeling optimistic i think also that's based off of age right a little bit i
3: think like if yeah. i moved to la now i would be much faster on my feet in terms of just
2: meeting people and like getting the lay of the land and booking jobs I think. well yes yeah. so if you're looking for significant others and all the other things that you do in like your early to <laughs> mid-20s <mid-twenties, sighs> um you know la is even harder for that compared to san francisco where like Someone could drop you out of an airplane and you'd land in a group of like people that want to go get some pho, right? Like (laughs) in LA, everyone's in their cars. It's like the only way to meet people is like through work, really. Yeah, that's true.
1: Well, let's say Ulrich and I want to be more like Liz Manischel, right? Where we just want to like make a movie every five or seven years and we're totally cool with that. Right. Is there a benefit for us being in LA to be that person? Or do you know what Liz's day job is? Well, she, she works for Sunday, Sunday. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so that is the type of day job yeah. that you
2: have here. First of all, you're exposed to like all the coolest up and coming filmmakers in indie film. You know, you're exposed to like that ethos and those people, and you see what's working and what's not working on the
3: inside. Like Liz, you know, would be the first to tell you she's like, she's witnessing what's working, what's not working in every phase of production and development, right? Mm-hmm. So she's in distribution. You know, like she can tell me what the hot new. Trends are in terms of you know how to get your indie movie out there, right? She's speaking on panels, she's meeting other filmmakers constantly, and all of that is pollinating her process, and she's refining what she's going to be doing in the next movie.
2: Yeah, and you're yeah. already like you'd know but Matt and me. You already know people that work at Funny or Die and College Humor, and you can constantly be like showing them stuff and pitching them. And I don't know about you guys, but Matt and I both get asked if we can recommend directors and writers like all the time on a weekly basis, I would, I would yeah. say, and you know, to be honest, like I don't have like a giant list of directors that I feel like,
3: yeah, you guys listen to the show, you know, all of them. <laughs> yeah.
1: right. right. <laughs> exactly. yeah. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing two things. One is just surrounding yourself with people that are doing awesome things to inspire you and to inform what you're doing and to share stuff with and learn from. And then the other thing is opportunities. Yeah. Timothy is so right? good
2: at distilling all of our
1: <laughs>
0: Right. He just repeats it.
2: No, but okay. in one sentence. <laughs> right. Keep going though, Warren, let's, right. let's hear some more. Uh, maybe I can tell you about yeah. my income for the year and you can tell me how much tax I owe. <laughs>
1: <In one laughs> well, I don't think you're going to convince us to move to LA on this episode and I wouldn't expect you to, but I think those, I mean, those are all valid arguments right. and, We've we've even made those same arguments on our episode about like should we we move to LA or not and we made a conscious decision to stay in San Francisco and I think Oakland come on Oakland part, give me a break and oh, sorry the San Francisco Bay <laughs> right, Area right. I think for me there's there's a little bit of a fantasy of like making it happen here and like uh, it, there seems to to me it would feel a little bit like a fuck you. Like I did it. I fucking did it. Everyone (laughs) told me I needed to move to LA or I should move to LA. Not that I need to, but that I should move to LA and I made it happen in San Francisco. And like, I'd feel so proud of myself. And I know there's like a lot of that pride in my decision to stay here, but also part of it to your point is just, I love it here. I just love walking out of my apartment every day and like being in the city. And I still really like my job and I like the things that I'm producing. Like I, I look at the, things on my reel that I've directed in San Francisco. And I just think like, that's awesome. Like I've really only done work that I really want to do. And I have that luxury because of my job and I can say no. And I still have the same salary than if I said yes. So, Right.
2: And by the way, um, I feel like like earlier, maybe I was a little negative about what we're all doing during the day, but your stuff, we've watched, we looked at (laughs) your stuff and it's awesome. And it's like really amazing. (laughs) And, and, you know, and I think the ad world is pretty, vibrant in San Francisco like you can make really amazing ads. You can make really amazing movies there too. San Francisco right. specifically is not super film friendly. It's not easy to get permits. It's not Oakland is friendlier and LA is yeah. friendlier than San Francisco specifically, which is of course the most beautiful part
0: where you'd want to shoot everything. Well, um, I disagree with that statement. I want to shoot in Oakland personally, but, but that's just me. <laughs> okay, but uh but anyway, yeah, look, stay
2: in San Francisco, stay anywhere you know leave more spots slots open for Matt and
1: me uh, <laughs> yeah I guess I just I hesitate to like put the message out there that the only place to make films is in right. LA and like I, I, I guess part of the reason that this podcast exists exist is because there's so many stories and even your podcast, I feel is guilty of this, of like talking about the success of people that like move to LA and like climb the ranks or that have a success at Sundance and they make this amazing film and then they move to LA. It's like, I want to talk to people that aren't doing that, that are like still in the trenches and still trying to figure out what their breakout film is. Like uh, it's, it's sometimes annoying to hear these success stories of people like fondly looking back at the story of like how they made it to where they are. And like I kind of like the stories of the struggle because I feel like everyone's struggling no matter what level you're at, whether or not you're making hundred million dollar films or you're making hundred thousand dollar films you're still kind of going through the same bullshit and so like part of the reason we made our podcast is to talk to people that are like still waiting for that breakout that are still building to that point point. and all Rick and I are like we're not novices we've been doing this for a while like I've been doing this for 10 years I, I graduated college like 17 years ago at this point um and I'm still like trying to seek out that one project that's going to like lift me out of obscurity it's like I feel like I've gotten now like to a point where I'm living my life the way I want to live it but I think all of us can agree we're all living our lives the way we want to live it but now we're like looking for that one like film to like break us out and and be the whiplash
2: and I I I think everything you're saying is awesome I don't think we disagree with anything to me the message of our podcast isn't that we're not struggling. I mean, we're all struggling. We all hate ourselves that we were not right. Damien Chazelle. <laughs> we all resent every filmmaker good, that's good. successful.
1: I think even Damien Chazelle hates oh, himself. Nah, sure. his, nah, every movie thing doesn't. he
2: makes is about whether he should care about art or his relationships, you know? Um, exactly. It, I think with the message of our podcast is wherever you are, you can you can definitely be a filmmaker in San Francisco. It, to me, it's like, don't be resigned to to thinking you can you have to be a struggling artist you know to me yeah. it's like you can focus on the struggle it's really fun you know yeah we fucking you know got some pvc pipes at home depot and made our own dolly and then we returned them great like it that's interesting for this movie you know we're like about the long road like i want to do this for 50 years you know i want to be like woody allen you know minus the right. stepdaughter marrying thing like right. i i want to make it a career not a hobby not a yeah yeah so that,
0: that's exactly what we want to mm-hmm. do and i think you know for us it's like why can't that exist in in the bay area like why does it have to be an la new york london exclusive thing you know it can. it's just
2: easier when you're surrounded when you submerse yourself in it
0: i'm trying to like Submer- shout out to like all the other filmmakers in the bay area and filmmakers who want to live in the bay area and be like hey like let's create something here that can you know, be its own thing. Like, It's not ever gonna be as big as LA or New York or whatever, but I wanna like create an infrastructure here where we can do the same thing and like have a career for ourselves as narrative filmmakers in the Bay Area. You, you know? can
2: create it, but I don't know if you'll ever change that attitude of the Bay Area filmmakers, which is we're doing this because we love filmmaking and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter how we make our money. As opposed to the LA filmmakers, which are like, we wanna make our living from being filmmakers.
0: Right. That's, well, that's the I, only I difference. I, I don't know if, like, I need. I don't really care about changing that that uh, that mindset. Like, I just want to make it a reality. Right. Like, I just want to make it so, like, we can make movie after movie after movie and be here in in the Bay Area and not have to be, you know, relocate ourselves to to anywhere else. We want our cake
1: right. and we want. to But eat now it you too. can't
2: say, "Hey, Timothy, let's go to fucking you know the." Rockies for a month and film a movie, and Timothy will be like, "Well, I have a job I have like a director call tomorrow i can 't leave you know in l a they' well that 's
1: not true I can yeah, I can I, I have a very supportive company that lets uh, right. me take time off to make movies because they know that 's what my real passion is, so like I have it pretty sweet. Right. Like, I can do it. I took six weeks off to go shoot my last short. Six Timothy has,
0: has, the, has the dream, basically. Like, he has this amazing job, this amazing position, and then he can just do whatever he wants. And, and he's like, oh, shit, should, should I quit my job? Should I uh, whatever, whatever? I'm like, what are you talking about? Your company is amazing, and they just let you do shit. Like, what are you talking <laughs> Like, I wish I had your job. <laughs> yeah. I don't Anyways. know. Hey, I'm, I'm also just saying, like, I'm not saying I'm never going to move to L.A. or I wouldn't move to L.A. or, or whatever, but I just don't want to, you know, I want it to be, I don't know, I guess I have a fantasy of, like, oh, yeah, I've made a feature, you know, like, <laughs> it, it played play in, in South Fantasies. by Southwest, and, oh, now, like, if I move to L.A., it's like I'm a I'm a director, like I'm a feature film director, or, like, what you know, I'm not, like, a P.A. I'm not, like, you know, some, you know... Nothing <laughs> or video video shooter or whatever i I don't even know what I am now video corporate right, videographer right videographer yeah. you know whatever yeah. yeah like like yeah I, I mean I it. wouldn't
3: i I wouldn't wait for that signifier that's for sure like um, right. if that's the thing that's holding you back from moving to l a like you know there are plenty of people who who've you know had movies at South by Southwest and still like you know feel weird about saying that they're filmmakers.
2: Right,
0: yeah. right, right, <laughs> exactly. Well, <it's>, we, <laughs> that's more a some thing. of them on your shows. Yeah.
2: We could talk about this all day. I, yeah. You guys can definitely, I, I'm not saying you have to move to L.A. by any stretch, so right. don't move to L.A.
1: I don't think we're even talking about L.A. versus San Francisco anymore. I feel like now we're talking about, uh, at least for me, what's kind of going in the back of my head is there's, Part of, like, I think this idea that the only way to succeed is to reach a certain, like, echelon of, of success, like, the, ol- the only way you can measure success is by, like, somebody's told us, like, the St- you have to have the Steven Spielberg career. And I just worry that, like, putting this, like, idea into all these young filmmakers' minds, and there's a lot of them out there, and, like, perpetuating this myth that the only way that you're successful is if you're in the studio system or you're making movies that everyone has heard of is just gonna it's just leading to a bunch of people feeling like really bad for themselves. And it's like I there's just the there's so only so many slots and not a lot of us are gonna make it into them. So I'm I think what I'm trying to do, at least the voice that I'm trying to put out there is like offer an alternative. Like not everyone's gonna make it and that's okay. It's okay that you don't make it. And you should try. You should definitely try like I'm I'm trying to be Steven Spielberg. Like, the, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that. But if I don't make it to that point, I'm not going to feel bad for myself because at least I tried. Yeah. And but so, like, I, I want to encourage and, everyone.
0: And day job.
1: I know he didn't have a day job. <laughs> well, I know he started in TV. I think out of film school, he like snuck onto the back lot and he convinced people he worked there when he didn't. And somebody saw him and like gave him a chance and he made that first short film Amblin. Yeah. Right? The, the, the,
3: sneaking was, the, the sneaking onto the, I think the sneaking onto the. little urban. Yeah, it's a little urban, yeah, it's a, it's a little urban it's legend. It's an urban legend. Yeah. But. I think what we're really talking but about. Yeah, he started but, in but TV, still, right? I, I, what, what I'm saying though is, I, I think like if Spielberg is li- like literally the most successful filmmaker uh, and business, one of the most successful business people of all yeah. time is your is your paradigm for success. Yeah, you're definitely uh, going to be pretty bummed fact.
0: out, <laughs> right? <exactly. laughs> pretty no, you, out. But, I, but right. Yeah.
1: You're gonna be bummed out. It's almost impossible. I
2: think that. Matt and I consider ourselves pretty successful. We just want to move to yeah. the next life. I love my life. Right.
3: I have okay, the best right. life. That's
1: all I wanted to hear from you guys. I just want to hear you guys say, like, we're in some ways, you guys are where you want to be. So, like, yeah. I think that's cool. Like, congratulations. Like, you guys made it. I'm where I want to be too. And I feel like I feel like I'm successful. And the only thing that I'm reaching for is just like the next thing, which I think we're all saying is like, I just want to make a feature film. And like, for me making my, my first feature film is probably the same way that Warren made his first feature film. And the way that Matt made his web series, like you guys have done it already. So I guess like, we're still trying to get to that first step.
3: You know, one, one thing and I know we've, we're going extra, extra long, so I apologize guys, but that's okay. I, that's okay. I, I think that there is a thing when you guys talk about breaking in. Yeah. That's, a, like a little dangerous in terms of like feeling like, Oh, there's a threshold that you have to cross. And like, once I finally no, fa- cross not. that threshold, I'll be a director, you know, like I won't be some like PA guy, all of that, the, that sort <laughs> right. of mentality that you guys are talking about. Right. Like it's, um, it's a gray scale, right? Like, yeah, oh, that, that's, and that's what we're know. trying to say. We're trying this.
1: to,
0: you yeah, know, we're trying to argue what, against yeah. the break in, you know, the threshold is yeah, used you no you're a director. Yeah, and that's what you. Th-
1: oh, so it's that's a well, full circle. The, uh, this is how we started well, the podcast. That's
0: what you think the threshold is: is just you admitting that you're a director or willing to say that you are a director.
2: Yeah, I'm sure you guys listen to Script Notes, from the best film oh, sure. podcast out of there. Course. Yeah, after your guyss um, and <laughs> Yeah, thanks. <laughs> like they always say the same thing: like if you want to be a writer, write. You know, <laughs> like right. that's all. If you want to be a director, say you're a director and go direct stuff. And so right. it's like. It's all about you. It's nothing about what anyone else says or anyone, doesn't matter who's paying you or any of that. It's just, you know, are you a director or are you not? And it's like, and it goes right. back to Timothy, like you would never award a commercial job to someone that was like, eh, I kind of want to direct, you know?
1: doesn't matter <laughs> right. what their meal looks like. <laughs> never. You want someone that's no. like,
2: I'm a director. It right. doesn't matter if they didn't direct anything all year. Right. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I know we're running out of time. I want to talk about one other thing you guys had emailed us about previously, yeah. which Cheers. I think is somewhat per- pertinent to this conversation, which was you guys brought up the idea of, should you make every movie you want to make? Like, just because you think there's this great idea for a movie, does the world need it? Right, right, is, right, is right. that kind of what? You, can you guys yeah. paraphrase? What well, you said? I, the
1: way I worded it was, who deserves to make movies? Like, should anyone be able to make a film if they can scrounge together the resources to make it happen, or should there be gatekeepers? Mm-hmm. Is the way that I worded the question, but it was inspired by hearing you on one of your podcasts say, like that you don't believe that people should just make movies because they can. Like in some ways, it sounds like you believe in the idea of a gatekeeper. I, you like I don't believe
2: idea. in a gatekeeper. I believe that sometimes people make movies for themselves, and they pull. They yeah. ask for favors, and they get you know sure. money. They raise money, and they they tell people they want to put this thing in the world, and it's really for themselves. It's like Gollum and his ring, you know. right. And, right. And, and <laughs> to me, the medium is about communication. It's about right. People like if you make something and no one watches it, did you need to make it?
0: You know, right. it, if mm-hmm. you
2: it it's not like writing a book it doesn't matter. You know, writing it's it's a business where you're getting a lot of other people to do things for you, and right. is it fair for you right. to make a movie that nobody wants to see except for I, you? So how do you well.
1: yeah? How do you judge what's what kind of movie? your movie is. Like, how do you know if you're just making a movie for yourself or if you're making a movie that people
2: want to see? I don't know. For one, you screen it for people (laughs) and see what they think and listen to them. Well, I think before
3: that, I think, you know, people talk about the uh, auteur theory and sticking to your guns. And I think the thing that Orin and I are often afraid of is course correcting the other way around, but certainly, you know, having a development background, like you should listen to what people are saying about your script and, you know, what bothers them or they're reacting for some reason or another, right? Like I think there are things that you have to be in tune with and making the decision to ignore those notes, especially the recurring ones, you know, does mean that you're veering into potentially sort of self-absorbed filmmaking. And like, that's not necessarily bad in my mind, but it's also something where it has to be a conscious choice. You can't be upset when no one likes your movie afterwards. Well,
0: I think there's a fine line, right? <laughs> like, I think the, the hardest thing for me is like, you know, as a filmmaker or a director is when to take the note and when not to take the note and like when to stick to your guns, you know, because like, you know, somebody might say like something or multiple people that like, oh, this is something you can't do. You should do it this way instead or do, you know, make this change. And like three or four people say it. And it's like, then you make the change. And then when you see the final piece, you're like, shit. Like that change was the wrong change to make. Yeah. Like I needed to keep it that way. That's what makes the piece work or vice versa, right? Like, you know. Um, I you didn't make the change
3: and now it doesn't work. Now yeah. it was terrible, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah. So I feel like, you know, knowing when to, to make that de- that decision in either way is like what makes the best director, right? Like well, if you no, knew the right time to do that, then you would always win.
2: I mean, the the way I came to that conclusion is actually from a personal experience. I told you guys I'd invested in a film just a few thousand dollars and made a ton of money. And so I was on this total delusion that you can make money from indie film. And so I invested (laughs) in another movie. I put in $5,000 to this film and they were making it and they shot in Alaska and it was super cool and it it was like dramatic. And then they just needed another 15 grand as like a gap loan to finish the movie. And everyone on set was like, this is an amazing movie. This is going to Sundance for sure. The director had his previous movie premiered at Sundance And they're like, Orin, can you give us another 15 grand just to finish the movie? And I was like, absolutely no way. And they're like, well, if you give us the 15 grand, we'll return your other five grand earlier. We'll give you an EP credit, everything. I was like, okay. So here I have 20 grand into the movie. Movie's done. And it's like beautiful, amazing performances, boring as fuck. And so, (laughs) and it was so obvious how to fix the movie, and everyone knew it, and the director didn't want to. He's like, This is my movie, this is how it's gonna be. And flopped and I never saw one cent back of my $20,000 and it's like everyone knows and the director's like this is art this is amazing this is so good and we're like it's the scene could be 10 seconds long it's 14 minutes you know we don't need more beautiful shots of him running through the woods so it's like that that's what turned me off of like people like I felt taken advantage of you know um, right. Because I was trying to help someone make something for the world, at least for Sundance. And in right. the end, all he cared about was his own vision and not what anyone else thought. Well, but you that, invested
0: kinda... in the wrong person is my argument. You know, like you, you, you pick somebody who wasn't willing to, I don't know, make the right call or make the right movie. You know,
1: in that situation, you were the gatekeeper and you should have closed that gate in the space. <laughs> wow. And, or you he should have gotten some sort of, you know, some sort of insur- Like, if I don't know, I mean, yeah, that's
0: a tough situation because, like, if you believe in the project so what's and the, the person,
1: I don't know. Yeah, what's the answer then, Orin? Like, How does somebody self-evaluate Like, what kind of movie they're making? You think that guy deep down knew that he was making a movie that only he cared about, that no one no, cared I about? No, I think
2: he thought it was going to be a big hit because his last movie got into Sundance. And his last his previous movie was also kind of boring, but it was unique, and that's why mm-hmm. he got into Sundance. By the time he made his second movie, like six years later, everyone had made movies like that, so it wasn't oh, as unique yeah. anymore. Right. Um, but I think... It's more about like your personal attitude of like feeling like you deserve to make a movie. Like you have this great script and the world needs to know about it. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. you, you know, I, I don't know. We know the writer of Hidden Figures, a movie about, you know, African, first right. African-American female scientists and physicists that helped us get to the moon and get put John Glenn in space and stuff. Right. Like you can see why that's a story that needs to be told, you know. But what about a person running in the snow, Oren?
3: That
0: sounds
3: good. <laughs> that that's a, the show. That's the movie that you invested in. i was oh, yes. calling back to. <laughs>
0: right.
2: <you>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you're trying to pitch your movie and no one is reacting to it, and you're getting so angry, maybe it's just not a movie that anyone it's needs not, to it's see. It's not the right well, movie.
1: Yeah. What about Damien Chazelle trying to make La La Land? after his first feature yeah, because Madeline and guy at a park bench and he couldn't get it made, but then he's able to get it made after whiplash. Like do you th- he, I have a feeling he probably could get anything. Made Wait, after was whiplash, whiplash not his so, first feature? No, he had no a- his first feature was guy and Madeline on a park yeah, bench.
3: Yeah. It doesn't really, it, that was the one he made in college though.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's like thirty-five yeah. grand or something. Like it's a feature. So it's he feature he got meetings based off of that film, and he was pitching La La Land around while he was writing screenplays in Hollywood, and no one wanted to make La La Land. Yeah. But the, so so he ended up making Whiplash because it was cheaper to produce, and he was able to get that made. And then off of the back of that, he got La La. But La of Land course, made. it's
2: the the project is the director, the actors, you know, the, whoever. Yeah. it's the crew and the material put together. And if I didn't know who Mm -hmm. Damien Chazelle was, and he's like, it's a musical about... (laughs) <laughs> you know throwback la whatever yeah. no one yeah. would invest in that it i makes, would say it really makes sense i went to film school i flash. saw
3: 16 fucking versions of this like it's a bad pitch <laughs> i think right, i think right. half
2: the sc thesis yeah. films are musical yeah but, like, dude
3: the west bank i fucking right? p8 on all of them no i hate that movie <laughs> you guys. but no yeah. i think look that that's a good example of like I'm why just, you need to live in los yeah, angeles yeah
1: i'm just looking for like right. some criteria that we can like hold films up against like if you're saying not everyone should make a film, then, like, okay, like, if there's filmmakers out there that are considering making a film, how should they decide whether or not their film deserves Look, I mean, to be I mean, I think
3: that's a, an argument towards practice, right? Like, you're gonna make some stinkers. Hopefully, you don't spend a ton of money on them, right? Like, that's the uh, Robert Rodriguez. You've <laughs> right. got five bad movies and right. you, yeah, just you get make them out 12, as soon as you can. Bad right?
2: Yeah, I'm not mm. saying you shouldn't make a film. I think everyone should make a film. I'm just saying you shouldn't be angry if people don't want to <laughs> gotcha. enable you to make your film. Like that pitching and getting people excited before you make the film is yeah. just as important. Whether you're financing right. it yourself or a studio is giving you two hundred million dollars,
0: it's a privilege. It's not a right.
2: You know, it's like yeah. a driver's license. <laughs> gotcha. Right. Right.
0: right. I well, see what I, you're I, saying. Okay. I definitely okay. feel like making movies like I, like is a privilege, not a we're all lucky that we get to even do it at all, right? Like, because getting that many people, even, like, if you have a small crew of five people, getting that amount of people to come out and help you make a movie is, like, I feel very lucky to have that opportunity, even if it's all my own money that that I'm putting into it, you know, so... I definitely feel that way, and that like there's Well, some it's funny, right Alric. Your
1: your feature film script, The Alternate, is all about a filmmaker who feels like he deserves right, <laughs> like the success that somebody right. else well, has. It's so I'm like, trying it's, to make a movie about
0: entitlement, right? So, but it's not necessarily. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying this is what I'm seeing in the world today. So that's why I'm telling the story. You know, is this like yeah? A
1: lot of people feel like they deserve something that they don't really exactly. Deserve. Anyways. I don't know. Last
2: thoughts, guys, anything else we should talk about? Hmm. I think I mean if there's any takeaway from this conversation, (laughs) uh, if I if I had to cancel out Timothy said, (laughs) it would be don't worry about the slots. Worry about, you know, making something that expresses yourself. And if it's really from you and it's unique and it's truthful, doesn't matter if you shot in LA or San Francisco, it doesn't matter if it was made for one dollar or like a hundred million dollars. I think it will stand out. And so, I don't know. Yeah. Just shoot it. Have we talked about, um, because making movies is so easy. It's Um, it's so
1: easy. It's a breeze, man.
2: Yeah. Well, cool. What about you guys? Any last well, thoughts? Anything you want to cancel
1: I out that Oren said? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, so I don't. Things. I don't want to. I, I don't want to write any takeaways because I feel like these are really important conversations. Like I, I feel kind of stressed <laughs> out by it, and I feel like that's always good. Like I think that it it's been challenging, and you guys have challenged me, and hopefully I've challenged you guys as well to like think about things. And I think that's good. Like I don't know what my takeaway from this is going to be until probably like. A day or two later and you'll hear it on the podcast. I'm sure I'll talk to Ulrich right. about it. But right now I'm just like my head's a little foggy and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I think about all this, but it was fun. Like I'm glad that yeah. we had this. I have no idea what we talked about. Like we when we were all over yeah. the place. Well,
0: yeah. I don't know. I mean just, just so <laughs> yeah. you guys know, like I like will constantly have these thoughts, you know, that'll pop into my head every once in a while, like, oh my god, you should have moved to LA when you're twenty-two, you're a fucking moron. Why didn't you do that when you're twenty-two, when you that was the right time? you're an idiot. You, 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 you fucked up. But then I remind myself that no, like I'm an, a filmmaker, an Oakland filmmaker. I make my movies that I that I'm, you know, that I want to make and I'm telling the stories that I have to tell and I'm shooting in the place I want to shoot, which, you know, I think is really important to me. And, you know, I think there's nothing stopping me from, from making my, my feature film and and more features after that, or web series or TV shows or whatever. It's just, I got to do it. And, uh, I think you're right. Like, you know, if I make my feature and no one likes it and no one buys it and I, all my investors are pissed at me, then maybe that's a sign that like I either need to make a different type of movie or maybe I need to move on to something else. But, you know, like I, I I need to at least go, go for it and see what, see what happens, you know, and just just shoot shoot it. it, Exactly. That's why I like your podcast so much because I feel like (laughs) our podcast basically are saying the same things in different ways and that even though you're in LA, like, a lot of the struggles that you're facing, like, I can relate to just being
1: here, you know? And I, and I feel like it's nice because it, it sort of brings us together in a way, you know? Yeah, and, like, the struggles aren't, like, you are saying, building PVC pipe things, but it's more like, when do you say no to a project? Or how do you act on a director phone call? Like, I like that you guys are delving into mm-hmm. just, like, the everyday... We call them struggles, everyday struggles of being a filmmaker, everyday struggles of being a director. Like, what do we go through? Like, how do we, when we look at scripts, how do we know if they're good scripts or bad scripts? And how do we write treatments? And like, I love the questions that you ask other filmmakers. And I also love that they're filmmakers that they're successful, but they're not like name brands. Like, you right, know, I don't right. see the names sure. on your listing and be like, oh, I know exactly who that is. Yeah, so, they're still in the like, trenches. To me, you know? There's still in the trenches and it also shows just like how many people out there are doing it. Like, I feel like it's easy to fall in love with this illusion of like, there's all these successful people in Hollywood that are breaking out with their like Sundance winning film. But then there's people like you guys that are just, you're working directors and no knock against you, but
3: we haven't won. Not Sundance. a lot of
1: people know your names, right? Yeah. Right? No, of course not. You're not household names yet.
2: Yeah.
3: No, So I that's
1: exciting. It, and that's,
2: and I like that. that. That's what I want people to hear. Look, there's thousands of directors working in Hollywood every day that you've never heard of, which means yeah, you might not awesome. be Steven Spielberg, but you can still make a living as a director. And like one right. last thing yep. that I want to leave us with <laughs> is: I went to this was years ago. I went to see a screening of Inglorious Bastards, and, they, and Tarantino was there. And they that I was him. at, oh, at the DGA. Yeah, we've talked about that. were the oh, yeah. there. Yeah. I'll, I'll make it really quick. Sorry, I never listen when you're talking. The moderator asked him like, "What his proudest moment was." and he talked about how he had made this movie he'd spent 4 years pretty much a waste of wasting his time making this movie where he would buy enough film stock every weekend to shoot a little bit more of the movie and by the time he finished it the stuff he had shot in the beginning was so bad he never even wanted to show the movie to anyone and then he went on to make reservoir dogs as his next right. movie and he said to me it was like when i made this like p- pile of dog shit you know that was totally unwatchable there wasn't a question of should I quit it, should I just give up now and go try something else. There was no doubt in my mind I was a filmmaker, even though he'd never made anything that anyone wanted to see. And that's why he went and he made his next movie. And that's what he's proud of. It's like that huh. you can fail, you know, your next three features could be total crap and no one can watch them. But if you are a filmmaker, you'll make another one after that, you know. Right.
1: So mm-hmm.
2: I think that we should give it's ourselves inspiring. permission to sure. to fail. Yes,
1: yeah. give ourselves permission to fail is a huge one. It's like you and I love that Robert Rodriguez quote that we all have like 10 bad movies in us or 12 bad movies, so just go and get them out. Like that's so true. It's like even when he made El Mariachi, it's not like he thought he was making a masterpiece. He was just making a direct-to-video movie to make enough money to make the next movie and he thought, "I'm going to make three bad movies and then I'm going to come out with the movie that everyone knows me for." But it just happened on El Mariachi. So I li- I love that story, too, because it's like he didn't go in with the intentions of getting into the Hollywood system off of that movie. It just kind of willed itself into being. Yeah. So Lots of inspiring stories. And, like, everyone go listen to Just Shoot It, guys, because there's a lot of good stories on there. And, like, I feel like we're all saying the same yeah. thing. As much as we argued on this podcast, I'm sure, <laughs> on this episode, I think we're all we're really saying the exact same thing. Yeah, and definitely yeah.
2: check out Making Movies is Hard because they distill our hours of rambling until like <laughs> very digestible. Right. Our
1: tidbits. version of this episode will be 20 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, no, nice. it won't. No, it won't.
2: Do you guys do, um, we do a segment at the end of our podcast, unpaid endorsements, where we just talk about cool things going on this week. Do you guys yeah, do anything like that?
1: We, we just call it like, do you have anything to share this yeah. week? I like it's that. It's not as cool as yours. Yours is cooler. Yeah. We don't have a theme yeah. song or anything. Well, <laughs> no, that was accidental. Dun, dun, so. dun, dun,
3: dun.
2: Well, you guys have anything you want to share this week?
0: No, nope. you know I, I did today. I was like you know working or whatever, and I was like, oh my god, I want to talk. Like if they they ask us, I have something to share, and I completely forgot what it is. But I have another one. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid, and you know you guys probably all know about. It. I know Timothy does, but uh, I just taught myself in design to help me do my treatments and my pitch books and stuff. And it's the best thing in the world, Adobe InDesign. I did a pitch book for my feature in Photoshop, and it took me like like a week or two weeks to do. It was terrible. And then I, I basically restarted in an InDesign and it took me like like you know like half the time or something. It's just amazing. So yeah, yeah. Adobe InDesign, it's awesome.
2: Photoshop is like, like you the short in LA, films you of know. InDesign. <laughs> 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 like, you, we yeah. all go through that, like exporting 85 PDFs. <laughs> out oh, of Photoshop my God. And then yeah, realize such you a only bummer. need one file in InDesign. Oh, well, my God. cool. Yeah. InDesign. Check it yeah, out.
1: Go InDesign. <laughs> so, Oren and Matt, what do you guys have to share? Um, I have, this isn't
2: <laughs> great either, but I've been thinking about like just competitions lately. It's something that I really. Looked at a lot at the beginning of my career and kind of started ignoring later on. But I saw two posted this week. There's this magazine called Shoot Magazine. I'm sure Timothy knows about it. It's more focused on commercial directing. It's free, by the way. If anyone wants to subscribe to it, it's like a paper magazine you get in the mail. But they mm-hmm. have a new directors showcase every year. And if you have been working in the film industry professionally but not as a director, you can submit. You know your directing work, stuff that you've made, but not been hired to make and if you get into the showcase they show your stuff to all the ad agencies and everything and i've actually submitted to it i'd not get in i'd like to think it's because i had done some paid work before (laughs) but i don't know the real (laughs) reason but check it out it's called shoot magazine and the new director's showcase is something that's taking applications and the other contest or not contest but program i just saw today was the warner brothers directors what's it called Directors something or other training Mm, camp basically yeah Last year, every single person that got in got to direct an episode of network television.
0: Oh, wow. It's, yeah. It's,
2: I think it's tricky to get in, but it's focused at people that have not directed TV before. You know, the, if you're female and not white, it definitely yeah. helps. It,
3: it, it's kind mm-hmm. of a mandate, right? Uh, I think for WB, certainly for Nickelodeon and I think ABC, I think a lot of those networks have fellowships that okay. are diversity-oriented specifically. I think the WV right. one
2: is, too. It's diversity-oriented, but I think if you were from a different country, if you were different sexual identity, I think yeah, yeah. if you find a way to make yourself not me, pretty much, like the white Jewish 30-something-year-old guy, <laughs> right. then you have a chance of getting in. I think that, um, that rules out everybody so, in this
0: panel here. <laughs> <laughs> None of us will make it.
2: Well, Matt, Matt's not Jewish. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I'm not boy. Jewish
0: either, but I'm white, 30-something, you know, nobody, so, yeah. you know. Well, as long as you don't have a beard. <laughs> Suburban white kid. Uh, damn it, oh, like,
2: shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy's <laughs> the only one.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: yep.
2: So, anyway. They're, they're, I don't know. It's worth applying to these things, you know, so. Check them yeah, out. Right. The, the, I think the fellowships are pretty, um, I think you're right, like, I think
3: it's kind of like a the gateway into that whole system, for sure, so. And like I said, I think ABC has one. Nickelodeon definitely has one, so they're all worth checking out. We'll we'll take a look in the show notes and yeah. dig them up. Okay, so I'm working my way, way through a whole bunch of old movies. And uh, do the right thing. Uh, it, it's been a top ten favorite of mine oh, yeah. for a long, long time. That's just revisited one. it. It's like still super pertinent, incredible, and like just electric filmmaking. Yeah. Really incredible work. So do the right thing.
0: I love that movie that was one of the movies that when I I saw it in I think in high school I was like oh my god like I have to make a movie movie. yeah that is fucking amazing I just I like just blew my mind so if anyone hasn't seen it absolutely see it
2: the movie that deserves to have been made
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) No doubt. that that is like the (laughs) definition right there
2: (laughs) cool well uh how can we find out more about you
1: guys you can go to our website, makingmoviesishard.com. Oh. Yeah. That has everything. It, Links to the show notes. Right. Twitter, Twitter Facebook, Facebook. Yeah, but you, if
0: you want to look at our work, we both have individual websites too. Mine's Productions.com And then Timothy, what is your Spin
1: Dry Productions? I just bought a URL based off of recommendation on Just Shoot It, timothyplane.com. Wow. Nope. Yes. Yeah. Not directed by timothy.com? Nope. I got my name, dude. <laughs> timothyplane.com. lucky <laughs> jerk. That's pretty P-L-A-N. good. T L A I N awesome well
3: uh, you can find out more about just shoot it at just shoot it pod on twitter and just shoot
2: you can follow me at mr matt Enloe. and me at smitey pileg and if you can rate us on itunes and rate making movies is hard on itunes that really helps us
1: <laughs> yeah then oh oh my god how many, how how many, many listeners do you question? guys have i gotta show. ask
0: you guys i know this is stupid we're at the end but uh <laughs> how many listeners do you guys have like two. do you know two two <laughs> No, you have more us? than two. You have to have us. more than two. Just us. Come on, guys.
2: Honestly, we don't know. I'm sure you guys know. It's really hard to track, but I would guess right. around yeah. a thousand. Yeah, give or take, probably two hundred. Probably, okay. probably How about you a thousand. Don't have more
1: iTunes reviews, and then a,
2: probably yeah, eight hundred that listen regularly, maybe. <laughs> I don't mm. know.
1: But it's really <laughs> it's
2: really hard to track because we don't really know the SoundCloud listenerships. That's mainly the iTunes.
1: Oh, uh, right. SoundCloud. We just track downloads. That's all we know. It's like it goes through my website. We have a podcast portal uh, yeah. and then it, it tells me how many downloads of the episode. So, and it's pretty consistent week to week. So we have a pretty good sense, but you don't know how many people are actually listening. Mm-hmm. To yeah. It. It's just the, downloads. Subscribed it's whole, in, and it's downloading. Yeah. 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 But you guys should have way more reviews on iTunes than because we've been around like 500 for a few weeks and we have like. I want to say 34 reviews oh on nice. iTunes, and you guys have yeah. much less. Well, and you guys I guess fall really that's a challenge challenge guys. Because our listeners don't like to the review fuck, on you guys? iTunes.
2: <laughs> <sighs> we don't do this for listeners. We do this for ourselves.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's what we tell yeah, ourselves. Exactly. too. it's our
2: it's our therapy every week. That's why we do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But guys, we were definitely being. Uh, Called out hardcore, so please leave us a review so these guys can get <laughs> off our back. Uh, but thanks so much for talking. It's really cool. And we yeah, thank you. Hopefully, we can do this again. Yeah, thanks, yeah. guys.
3: Oh, yeah, this episode was edited want. by Eric Crippot. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Uh, and Music you can was... check out Eric's yeah.
2: company, yes. flashpoint.io. Eric. They cut trailers and are a production company and do all sorts of things. But if you need a trailer cut excellently, then flashpoint.io. Check him out. Shout out, Eric. Thanks, guys. Thanks.
0: So that was our conversation with Matt and Low and Oren Kaplan of Just Shoot It. And I don't know if you guys could tell, but um, it got a little heated for us, Um, you know, in, in the middle of that thing there. And uh, Timothy and I, we were so, like, kind of, w- like, knocked on our butts from the conversation. We had, like, a little recap the next day. So we're going to release a separate episode this week. Uh, that's just our reaction to this episode. So you guys can hear how we felt and we would love to know how you took this episode. Like, what did you take away from it? Like, how are you feeling? My guess is that
1: we felt it more because we were in the room with them, but probably it doesn't sound as bad as it felt.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't really feel like it felt negative necessarily, but it just like kind of felt like, I don't know, we were both coming from different directions and it just kind
1: of got a little bit, um, a little heated, a little something or other. I don't know even what the right word is for it. It just felt like we were all really defensive, and we weren't agreeing on anything, and we were more in the mood to like fight than we were just to, like listen to each other and like support each other's <laughs> filmmakers and talk about our experiences.
0: Right, right. And I think what we t- we probably say this to- on the on the recap that like we listened to more episodes of their podcast than they have listened to episodes of our podcast, so like we kind of felt like we knew them better than we did maybe or something like i don't know because i've listened to like at least 20 30 episodes of their podcast
1: um but uh and i really like well, it. just goes to show you don't know somebody till you know them right you right can listen to everyone's podcast you can listen to all 80 whatever episodes that we have and you right. still don't know us guys you don't right know us. you don't know us
0: <laughs> i feel like you guys get to you get get to know me pretty good <laughs> but But anyways, uh, yeah, it was a really fun conversation. I took a lot away from it. And, um, you know, those guys are really smart, obviously. And they're definitely, you know, gotten a lot of success. And they're doing what I want to do in a lot of ways, you know, and they're working with people that I want to work with. But like, I like literally cannot do the things that they're doing um, if I wasn't in L.A., you know, so it's sort of like I just think about what I want to do with my life as a filmmaker and how I can achieve that. And, and and realize that yeah, I can do that from here. I don't need to be uh, in LA to do the things I want to do. So you know, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with what what I've with my decisions. You know,
1: I walked away from that conversation just face to face again with the idea of like, if you want to be a director, you should be directing. And if and am questioning whether or not I'm directing enough. And I guess that's kind of like what it comes down to. Like, am I directing enough? to well, you, get as good as I want to be.
0: Right. Well, I mean, you're you probably directed more than I did last year. Um but, you know, like I don't know. I don't necessarily feel like, "Oh god, last year I didn't direct enough." But I like I made a short film and I released another one. I feel pretty good about that, you know, and, I, and I've and I've I come to this realization that if I ever want to make my feature, I need to just stop directing small things and just make the feature. So like I'm resigned to like not directing anything physically for a long time <laughs> if, it, if it means that my feature
1: will get made, you know, <laughs> so. Do I not make another rage. Do not make another rage. It's yeah. It's been a year and I just saw the trailer on Twitter today. Oh, yeah. What's your
0: reaction to the trailer? <laughs>
1: I didn't watch the trailer. I've seen oh. the movie.
0: Oh, right. That's true. <laughs> I was not a big fan of that trailer. I kind of just did that, but so, uh, just had, so it was done. And, cause I don't even know what the trailer for that movie can possibly be. And, like, <laughs> that was like the best I could do for a trailer because that movie is so of its own thing. It's so specific. It's so what it is that like a trailer doesn't really do it justice.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening. Check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com is where you can find links to the things we talked about in this episode. I guess mostly just the just shoot it podcast link. And I don't know what we're going to write in the show notes. It'll be very short. <laughs> right. um, if, if you want to get in contact with us, send us an email at podcast at making is or find us on Twitter and Facebook with the handle at MMIH podcast. And if you like the show, please tell a friend, say, Hey, check out this cool filmmaking podcast. These guys are really cool, really funny, or I hate (laughs) listening to them and you'll hate them too. Like whatever your reason is, like let people know about it. Um, And that's about it. Thanks, Ulrich. And thanks, Just Shoot It, guys. That was, that was fun and frightening.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, I really do want to have them on the podcast again and do a different type of conversation. But, uh. It'll, it'll be in a while, probably.
1: Yeah, and if you guys have any ideas for that, let us know.
0: Yeah, and let us know what you thought about the episode, too. Are we all crazy? What What's going on? <laughs>